we will commence our Lord's Supper. John chapter 19. The Lord's Supper that I'm going to be doing today might be a little different from how other churches do it. I don't want the Lord's Supper to just be like some kind of 15-minute deal and then we're done. That doesn't seem appropriate to remember our Lord. I want to at least dedicate a good portion of time, a whole service to the Lord's Supper. So what I've decided to do is, Lord willing, I might preach like a dozen sermons or maybe even more dedicated on the Lord's Supper. But at the same time, it'll be something where it'll help to convict you, help to convict you, carry on throughout the rest of the week. If we are to be in remembrance of the Lord Jesus Christ, of his death, burial, and resurrection for us, what I want to do is to spend that whole time during the preaching to think about it, to contemplate it. Let's look at John chapter 19 and verse 1. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns, and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe, and said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. You'll notice that in this text that the governor Pilate took Jesus Christ and scourged him and beat him through a bloody mess. Our God, our God, the one we adore and worship, humbled himself and became a man, bled, died, beaten, bruised for your sake and mine. And so amazing that the creator of all the universe, the one who holds your very breath in his hands, He's beaten in front of your eyes. He's beaten by your kind, by your people, by human race, the mankind. He was beaten by you. And in return, we don't give him the worship that he deserves. Instead, the world mocks at Jesus Christ. Your life is a mockery of Jesus Christ itself. But I want to point out right here that with these wicked people and what our wickedness has done in mocking the Lord Jesus Christ and crucifying Him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews, I want to look at the other side of it, is that when these Roman soldiers, they spat and they mocked and they beaten, they beaten our Lord and said, Hail, King of the Jews, I actually, in awe and admiration, cannot help but wonder that, yes, indeed, this is the creator of the universe. This is the king of the Jews. And when I see that blood spilled out from his brow, being gushed with the crown of thorns, I cannot help but honor him. I cannot help but worship him. Amen, Seeing that bleeding figure on the cross of Calvary, eyes swollen, face swollen that you could even barely right, recognize him as a man and he's looking at you Whew. if I was that person at the foot of the cross of Calvary looking at that I couldn't help but just fall on my knees and worship him yeah. and just say indeed hail king of the Jews there's once a song in, that goes hail thou once despised Jesus and that song actually became a later hymn for us about our great Savior, 
Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. But you got to realize that tune came from the song, Hail, Thou Once Despised Jesus. I would encourage you, if you ever have the chance to, look it up yourself and to listen to it. I would like for you to travel along with me 2,000 years ago to the foot of the cross of Calvary and see those people, your own people, your own kind, basically you, who tortured and crucified and made our Savior believe. I want you to travel along with me to Calvary today and let us worship the King. Today my title is Hail, King of the Jews. Let's pray. Father God, indeed that you are worthy. You deserve glory, honor, riches, praise in everything. Not just because you are the creator of the universe, but what makes it more meaningful to us is because you died for us, because you bled for us. We ought to worship you because of who you are. Unfortunately, mankind does not understand that. And what helps us to understand a little bit more about worshiping you is your suffering. Because it was at your suffering you became human like us. So it appeals to human emotions more. It meets human thoughts and emotions even more. So I pray that you'll make this sermon very humane, very personal, very real to us. Where we see the weak side of you, which is actually the glorious side of you. You are not ashamed with those nail prints on your hands. You still carry it along with you, Father. And I pray that we'll come to know your glorious majesty, if not through your creation, because of our wicked, sinful human nature, then help us through your death, through your suffering, to worship you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let us go through every step and phase of a king, when he gets crowned, when he gets crowned as king, when he gets honored and adored by the public. Let's look at the coronation of a king. Verses 1 through 3, you'll notice his coronation. The, the Bible says, And Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers platted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him with their hands. If you ever studied a coronation, a coronation, the reason why they have to have that ritual where it takes the marching and then the crowning and then the adoration of putting on an outer garment in some coronation ceremonies is because, as I studied and researched it, it is important to the people. A coronation with its ritual elements, occasionally has religious or spiritual themes. Believe it or not, the reason why people have those rituals in those funeral services and weddings, and they have to have a religious leader, isn't that interesting? So every atheist is a religious person, whether they believe it or not. The reason why that's so important to mankind, even, even recognized by secular humanists today and scholars, is because it has some kind of meaning to our spiritual side. That's why they have to have that in wedding, in funerals, and yes, even in 
coronation of a king. Each element is supposed to represent some kind of spiritual, religious significance. Every item and object that's used is to represent their faith or some kind of religious belief. Some people, when they have those ritual elements, they'll take it as a representation of an object of a person that yields allegiance or divine, divinity bestowing honor upon this person, which is why they would either do the handing of the scepter, the crown, the crowning, or the putting on of the robe. In this case right here, the coronation of our King Jesus was not a golden crown, but a crown of thorns. In the coronation of our King here, it wasn't a majestic robe, but rather a purple robe that was placed upon his bleeding, battered body that, that amped up the pain. For our king right here, he wasn't granted honor and praise the right way, but mockery and scoffing with Hail, King of the Jews. Usually the people will clap their hands in honor of the king in the coronation, but instead they smote him with their hands. That was the coronation of our king. Hail, king of the Jews. Why is that? Because in Isaiah chapter 53, it says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes... We are healed. The reason why Jesus Christ had to go through that coronation, it represented a spiritual meaning behind every lash and every stroke of that whip and every mark that was laid upon Him. With that crown of thorns, it represented the curse of all the earth. And that coronation represented when Jesus Christ took that crown of thorns was, I'm taking your curse upon me. When they whipped him and chastised him, it represented that instead of you receiving the chastisement, which in Hebrews chapter 12 is whipping, Jesus Christ says, I'll be chastised on your behalf. And that's why the chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. When he was mocked, hail, king of the Jews, he received the scoffing because it had the spiritual meaning that he took the scoffing in your place. Why is that? Because when a person rejects Jesus Christ and they go to the lake of fire, God is going to scoff at you. But Jesus Christ took on every spiritual meaning every beating, every mark, because every element of that coronation had a significance, had such significance, it was basically him taking your place. If you saw his coronation ceremony, can you imagine if you're the one sitting in that audience and watch the coronation ceremony of our king where he was whipped at the back and every time that whip snapped and cracked on his back, and you picture and see the spiritual meaning behind it.
That should have been me. Can you picture it when they put that crown of thorns for all his glory, for all the world to see, and put that crown of thorns and gushed it upon his head? And that blood trickled down where his brain fired up his skull and the muscle surrounding his precious brain was being torn and being cut. And as the blood, can you picture that blood? Can you see that blood as it goes down throughout his face? And, he's, and that was him taking the curse for you. The curse of sin for you. At Genesis 3, God cursed sin upon this earth with what the Bible says, thorns will come up. That will be your curse, Adam. Can you see it when all the people punched him and every time they beat him? Can you picture that coronation ceremony? Look at that with me today. As in that aisle where our Savior, our King being beaten, bam, by one, and then he gets hit, and then he collapses, his foot wavers, and then he travels around like this, and then the other soldier punches him on the face, and then he gets hit by the force of the punch, and then he travels along with this, and then the next soldier punches him, and then they laugh, and then he's just going around like a ping pong. They just punch him and beat him back and forth, and they laugh at him, and every time they punch him, they said, Hail! King of the Jews! Why? That should have been you. That should have been you, my friend. That's why you can't help but worship him. Amen. Why? Because he took your place. Amen. He took your bleeding. He took your violence. He took your punishment. He took your judgment. That's why I can't help but give him glory. How dare a Christian thinks that his or her life is his or her own and that our majesty does not receive worship after that coronation he went through. I don't see you receiving any coronation. I don't see you being the one being crowned. But Jesus did. Isn't he the one walking down that aisle through that coronation? Isn't he the one that went through all that ritual every significance in that coronation ceremony. He went through the scourging. He went through the crowning. He went through the clothing. And then he went through the mockery. He fulfilled the coronation. He's king, not you. Can you not help but worship him and bow the knee? Live for him like you should. Serve him like you should. Give him glory like you should. Every minute of your time and day should be dedicated to honor him. Why? Because of his coronation. You didn't. Verse 4 and 5, I would like to talk about the pronouncement of a king. The pronouncement of a king. Verse 4, it says, Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man! The pronouncement of a king, just like a wedding. The bride and the groom, they get dressed up. The bride, she is adorned in her bridal garments. And then she has the beauty that's adorned. She went through the, the, down the aisle. She's holding the flower. She has the ring. And then, because of all of that, with the kissing, you're waiting for that final pronouncement 
I now pronounce you man and wife. It is with great joy I present to you, Mr. and Mrs. The pronouncement of a wedding, we see that. And it's the same thing with the king right here. The king, when he gets crowned, he is announced to all the world. And Pilate introduced the king to the world. Behold the man. Why? Because just like the bride, he has everything that qualifies for it. He got the clothing for it, the purple robe. He has the jewelry for it, not a ring, but a crown of thorns. He has the marks to prove it. And those, that's the whiplash, the whip marks on his back. He was beaten for it. Oh, because I see that, my friend, he is truly king of the Jews. Why? Why? Because he is pronounced to all the world. He bore the marks. He proved his worth. He went through the coronation. He is king of the Jews. Hail, king of the Jews. But why won't you pronounce it with me today? Why won't you pronounce it with me today? Hail, King of the Jews, at your workplace. Why won't you pronounce it with me today? Hail, King of the Jews, when you go out on the streets and preach His word. Will you not pronounce it with me today to your own home and friends and family? Hail, King of the Jews. Will you not pronounce it with me today? In prayer, at school, at your workplace? Or are you ashamed? Are you ashamed? Are you ashamed? Look at that bleeding face. Do you see that? Do you see that bleeding face? The marks that he bore for you. Can you not help when you see that? Just want to cry it out. Hail, King of the Jews. How can your mouth be sealed shut after that? How can your mouth be sealed shut after you see that bleed, those bleeding wounds on his side, on his hands, and on his feet at that old rugged cross? You're telling me when you see all that, you're just going to keep your mouth shut? Or doesn't, isn't there something in you when you see that you can't help but go, wow, wow. He died for me. Look at that. That's my king. My, hey, do you see that? Do you see that? He died for me. He, he did that for you. Yeah. Do, do you see that? Or do you get scared every time visitation comes and you're afraid to knock on that door and tell that person? Or are you the one that fears your reputation? How you look in the workplace and in the school? Can you not help? And you see that bleeding Savior to go, look at that! This is Him! This is Jesus! It's not Mohammed! It's not Buddha! They never did that! Look at Him! That's the King! That's your King! Will you receive Him as your King with me? The pronouncement of a King. Verse 14 and 15. My third point is the celebration of a King. The celebration of a King. And it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold, your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. 
Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, We have no king but Caesar. Oh, my Savior, when he was pronounced, Behold, your king! Just like any wedding, people should have got up from their seats, stood up in admiration and honor. They should have clapped. They should have cheered. They should have said, Woohoo! They should have said, Congratulations! Yes, I'm so glad for you. I'm so happy for you. But the celebration he received was, Crucify him! Crucify him! The adoration he received was, we have no king but Caesar. I don't recognize you as king. No congratulations. No cheers. Instead, a cry. Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. My friend, as I hear this wicked world, they keep crying out, crucify him, crucify him. They mock our Savior. They say, I don't recognize him as king. And it makes me, inside of that jeering crowd, that bloodthirsty mob, I feel like the only one. And there's a bloodthirsty mob surrounding me. I feel like they're going to kill me if I pronounce him as king. I feel like they're going to pressure me. I feel like they're going to look down on me. But my friend, instead of looking at the bloodthirsty eyes of the mob, I look at that blood seeping down out of the eyes of my Savior's face. And when, if I pay to that I cannot help but just look at him and admiration because I keep looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith and I don't look at the scoffs of the people I don't look at the violence of the liberals I don't look at the stupidity and the wickedness of the education school system I don't look at the jeers of the crowd and the majority out there I just look at that bleeding face and when I do that I can't, my fear of the crowd is gone my worry for the majority it vanishes away and then how my reputation and how I look in front of a violent group of people is vanished. And while they're crying out, crucify him, crucify him, I cannot help but shout above the crowd, Hail, King of the Jews! Hail, King of the Jews! Get glory to him! Crown him with many crowns! Cast your crowns at his feet! Worship him! All hail the power of Jesus' name! I cannot help but worship him when I look at that. Because why? He suffered. He bled for me. When you're going through suffering, is there a celebration to the king? Is there a celebration to the king? Instead... Do you jeer like the crowd? Do you have an aggressive anger inside your heart, just like the crowd had anger against Jesus Christ? Or is it during suffering that there is a admiration? I'm going through a trial. I'm going through affliction. There's so much stress in my life. That's when you need to praise the Lord. Amen, That's when you need to give Him the celebration and say, Hallelujah! What a Savior! Man of sorrows! What a name! 
Lord, I know you're going to turn this thing into something good and wonderful. Romans 8, 28. Lord, you're going to give me grace to go through 2 Corinthians chapter 12. To you be the glory. To you be the honor. Hail, King of the Jews. Is that what you do? Or is it defeatist attitude? Is it depression? Is it anger? In suffering, we cannot help but worship His majesty. Give Him the glory. Why? Because He went through suffering. You never went even half of His suffering. You'll never even meet close to the suffering He went through for you. Because of that, there, is, there should be nothing inside of us that would prevent to give Him glory. If you're going through suffering, just think about how much Jesus suffered for you. And when you do that, you can't help but praise Him after that. Thank you, Lord, that the suffering I'm going through, Father, is not even half of what you went through. The suffering that I went through, Father, reminds me what you suffered for me. Thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you, Lord, for taking the beating in my place. I come in all depressed and miserable. That's when you need to sing in church. Come in church all gloomy down. No, that's when you need to sing. That's when you need to smile. That's when you need to shout and give Him glory. Everyone goes through hardship and trials, but it's during the time of the storms that you need to give Him praise and glory. The celebration of a king in the midst of suffering. Look at verse 16 through 18, 16 through, eight, uh, 16 through 18. The triumphal entry of a king. The triumphal entry of a king. The Bible says, Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull, skull which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him, on either side one, and Jesus in the midst. When a king gets crowned, the people clap and they cheer. They give him the celebration. Once the celebration of a king is over, then comes the triumphal entry of a king, or the grand entrance. It's when that bride and groom, they enter inside the room, and then everybody gives the clap because they're entering in. For the king, it's when he rides across the town, and he enters into a town. And what that represented during the old times is the grand entry of a king was to show where he's coming in, saying, I am the rightful king and the ruler. And the city is supposed to pledge allegiance, fealty, loyalty to him as they allow him to enter into their city. That's what the grand entrance, the triumphal entry of a king usually was at the next part of his ceremony here. But you know, the Lord Jesus Christ, he didn't receive such a grand entry. All he was is he was sitting on a humble donkey, riding through, people just putting in palm leaves and stuff like that in front of making way for the king. No chariot. Not a lot of people behind him to give him the celebration, some kind of parade or show. Just going down a humble donkey. And that is known as the triumphal entry of Christ 
Didn't you know that? But more humble still. As a matter of fact, what greater awe I have to worship His majesty is this entry where He picked up His cross and went to a place called Calvary. And as he made that grand triumphal entry, the people spat at him, mocked him, jeered him. That was his triumphal entry of my king. Everyone crying out in mockery, Hail, King of the Jews! Hail, King of the Jews! As he walked down, not in a white horse, but with a cross. Not with his head held high, but his head bowed low as if he was going to drop on the ground. They didn't kneel in front of him. They all stood in pride, whereas Jesus Christ, he would kneel down on the ground and fall as he kept carrying up his cross and kept marching on. That was his triumphal entry, was at the cross of Calvary. Why is that? Because it's at Calvary, that's where your life changed and mine. It's at Calvary where you and I owe him allegiance. It's at Calvary where you and I are not of our own, but are bought with the price and become his servants. And he became our king and our Lord. It was at Calvary. Think about it. The holy of holies, the holy God where you repeat three times, holy, 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 from all four cherubims, who are greater and mightier than you and I put together, made a grand entry inside your heart. What? My, my body? My, yeah. You don't know what I said, Pastor. You don't know what I saw. You don't know what I thought in my mind. You don't want to go in there. Uh, you don't know what I did in my life. I mean, I, I might look uh, like a good Christian outside right now, Pastor, with the tie, the suit, and coming into the house of God, being a holy Christian. But you don't know what I do in the privacy of my own room, when, in my own home, and that's right. God chose that body to make a grand entrance. And that's when he came down and glory, heaven came down and glory filled your soul. And it's that day where you and I should have owed him allegiance, should have offered him our loyalty, should have said, hail, king of the Jews, should have said, my life is yours, should have said, come on in. That means that I'm going to worship you. Shouldn't that be the case? You know why you ought to worship him? Because of that triumphal entry at Calvary. That's why you should worship him. What kind, that's, that's totally dishonorable, a disgrace to God. Do you realize that? To enter inside your sinful body? What king would stoop so low to visit a place where it's filled with sin, gunk, and wickedness? That's why Kamala Harris thought that she was too big, that she doesn't have to go to the border, right? That's right. But what king wow. of the universe would come down to live with you? Thank you That's why you and I should worship him. Hail, king of the Jews. Verse 19 through 22, the banner of a king. The banner of a king. Verse 19 through 22. 
The Bible says, and Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The title then read, Many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the King of the Jews, but that he said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. You know, when they put that sign on the cross and Pilate said, what I have written, I have written, that meant this is sealed, signed, sealed, done. He is king of the Jews. Why? Because he deserves that glory and honor. Jesus Christ, when he made that triumphal entry to Calvary, he had no bright colors of the banner. He had no fancy emblem. He had no intricate design and worthy decoration that showed his kingship, his rulership. No symbol, no logo, no emblem, no nothing of a banner. His banner was so pale, it's so weak, it's practically nothing. What is a banner, do you realize? A banner, they say, is a piece of cloth that's hanging on a piece of wood. You know what Jesus Christ was? Jesus Christ, what he was, he took and clothed himself with your sin upon himself. And he was that one dangling on that piece of stick. And that was his banner. His banner was the cross with that sign, signature, hanging on that piece of stick. That was the banner. The banner of the cross. There's a royal banner given for display to the soldiers of the king. And an ensign fair we lifted up today, while as ransomed ones we sing, marching on, marching on, for Christ count everything but loss, and we crown him king. We'll toil and sing beneath the banner of the cross. Are you ashamed of the cross? Are you ashamed of the cross? Paul wasn't ashamed. He was proud of it. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Why are you ashamed of the cross? Why? Is it too naked for you? Because Jesus is naked. Too violent for you? Too uneasy, too uncomfortable for you? Because Jesus Christ went through the violence, the uncomfortable situations on the cross? Why is it too embarrassing, too shameful for you? Because Jesus Christ went through the shame and the embarrassment a bleeding on that piece of stick. What is it? What makes you ashamed? I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. What is the gospel? The cross, he died, buried, and resurrected on my behalf. Why is there shame on that one? Why don't you lift it up high in front of the whole world to see? Why are you ashamed of the cross? It shows where your loyalty lies. It shows how much you worship the king. It shows how much you're proud about the banners of your savior. This is my savior. It is the cross of Christ. Look at this. It shows how well you're waving that flag, that banner. I cannot help but worship him because of his banner. My sixth point is the feast of a king. The feast of a king. Look at verse 28 through 29. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished... That the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. 
Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. In every coronation, in every celebration of the king, the next step after the banner is waved and then everyone sees the king and they go, Hail, king! Hail to the king! They have a big feast set up. And that feast is in his honor under his name. But my savior, my king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, his only feast was a piece of sponge mixed with vinegar and not even water to drink. That was a feast of my king. When he went through his celebration, his feast was just a piece of sponge. And he cried out, Oh, what shame! He cried out, I thirst! If the main person of the whole event and party said, I'm thirsty, please give me something because you failed to give that person a drink. How disgraceful, how disrespectful, especially at a person's own wedding or graduation or big event, especially for a king and more so to a king of kings and a lord of lords. How disrespectful, how dare you only pick up that book in your hand and dare, you only dare to pray for just a couple seconds and just read through the Bible and quit reading and closing it. How dare you do that to give food to your king? You know what Jesus said? Our spiritual time with God, that's spiritual food. You know that? Don't you know you're feeding your spirit? Didn't you know Jesus considers, considers that as feasting with you? Revelation chapter 3, Jesus said, Behold, I stand in the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open, and open the door, I will come into him. So see, he's entering inside you. And will sup with him and he with me. How dare you worship his majesty by giving him a sponge? Vinegar. Oh. When I see him bleeding on that old rugged cross, dying of thirst and because my flesh is being fed day in and day out, and the lust of the flesh are always pleased day in and day out, I cannot help but give him water to drink, to just open that book, to fall on my knees and be lost in prayer, and just feast and dine the king. Hail, king of the Jews. Is that what you think? When you open that book, you give him the glory, you fall on your knees and pray, you worship him because of who he is. My last point, my sixth, seventh point is the death of a king. The death of a king. Look at verse 30. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. With every king, they die. Not one single king on this earth and throughout history ever lived forever. Except one. Except one. King of kings and Lord of lords. But he chose to die and to come back to life again, to prove his kingship and authority. When a king goes through the coronation, you recognize and see all that. He's the king. When he's pronounced as king, you know that he is the one and that you should declare and pronounce him as king. When he is celebrated and adored, you celebrate and adore him as king. 
When he comes in as a triumphal entry, you show him your allegiance and welcome him inside you, your residence. When his banners are displayed proudly, if you had the chance to hold the banner, you would wave it up high, you would hold it seriously, show it off to all the world. And then you make sure that the feast with the king is just done right. The feast is unlimited. Everyone is full. Everyone is being fed. But churches nowadays, they have starved the people. They have not fed them doctrine. They have not fed them the book, but just fed their flesh. Gimmicks. Contemporary music. They just fed the lust of the flesh. How our world, our Christianity has failed to serve the king properly. But that king, even in spite of that rotten feast, the rotten celebration, the rotten coronation, and the rotten entry that you've given to him, the rotten banner that you've displayed in front of him, and the rotten pronouncement that you've given to him, he never failed you one time and kept being faithful to you when you were unfaithful to him all the way till death. All the way till death. He didn't stop. Once he started to live homeless in his three-and-a-half-year ministry, he didn't say, oh, I'm going to quit once his church left him. Once the disciples left him and he only had 12 people left, he didn't quit. He said, no, I'm not done yet with my job. i got to go on until death. He didn't quit when he saw his remaining 12 members run away from him, with one of them denying him, the other betraying him. He said, no, I ain't going to quit. I'm going to go on till death. He didn't quit when the people, his own people, mocked him, spat at him. He said, no, I'm going to keep on going till death. He didn't quit with that first lash on his back and say, oh, that hurts so much. He said, no, I got to keep going till death. He didn't quit when he was gushed with the crown of thorns. He said, no, I got to go on till death. He didn't quit when those nails were pounded in front of his hands and his feet. He said, no, I got to keep going till death. He didn't quit when he was hanging on the cross. And he said, no, I got to keep on going until it's finished, until it's done. Every single ounce of sin is on me and it is crucified at Calvary and I wash you with my blood. I'm not done yet. And he hung, he hung, he hung, he hung. And then he finally completed his duty. What a great king. He never let down his subjects. He never let down the place that he was in charge of. The universe that he created and ruled, he never let them down. He was faithful till death and said, it is finished. And that's when he gave up the ghost and died. What a, what a death of a king. What a way to die. The world glorifies it when one of the presidents just gets shot, bam, like that, and the world goes, oh! And then a guy who's not even president, MLK, oh, let's make a holiday out of it. But Jesus Christ, when he died, my goodness, my friend, he went all the way till death for you. He did everything for you. JFK, MLK, never got crucified on a cross for me. It was my Savior, my Savior, the Lamb of God. Why don't I make a national holiday out of that, huh? The world, whether they know it or not, every single day of the week, every Sunday, yeah. is when they finally can commemorate and give him the national holiday that he deserves and worship the king. Why? Because of his death. 
because of his death, burial, and resurrection. Because he raised himself from the dead. That's the reason why we come to church today. Oh, it's so hard to serve my king. Well, why is it so hard? He went all the way till death for you. He never let you down. You, his faithful subject, going to let him down now? Oh, but because of, because of what? This trial? I can serve God, but only up to here. Oh, really? Only up till here? I can only give up part of my life, not all. What is it? The king gave up all of his life for you. He went all the way for you. He went to the cross for you. You can't go just a couple steps along with him. The very least you can give to him is to owe him and give him your whole life. That's the minimum. That's the least you can give to him. Because all of his life till death, he took on many lifetimes for you. Many lifetimes of suffering and pain and sins upon himself. The very least you can do is just give him your life in return. Why don't you die with your king? What did Paul say? I am crucified with Christ. Keep coming to church. Keep reading that book. Keep winning lost souls. Keep staying away from sin. Keep giving up the world. Stay clean for the Lord till death. Till death. Follow your king. What a king. What a great king. Look at him. He died for you on the battlefield. Do you see that bleeding, battered body lie hanging on that piece of cross? And when you're here, you are holding your sword, fighting in the battlefield. When you see your king falling to the ground, doesn't that work up something inside you? Come on, brother. Come on. And it makes you want to pick up your sword and say, I will die for my king. I will live for my king. I will fight for my king. Live for your king, and if need be, die along right beside him. Will you die to self today as we partake in the Lord's Supper and we take, partake in the grape juice and the unleavened bread? Think about that dying body, that dying blood that was hanging on the cross, and you're the one holding your sword. Can you see that? Can you see that? Can you not help but owe him allegiance on this altar now? And confess your sins, every sin you've done. Repent, beseech forgiveness, cover it under the blood, and say, Lord, I owe my allegiance to you. Will you come to the cross of Calvary with me today and say, Hail, King of the Jews. Every head bow and every eye shut, the altar call is open. Hail, King of the Jews. Wow, what a king. What a king. What a king. Wow. I cannot help but stand in awe when I look at the coronation of my king. It wasn't a graduation cap. It wasn't a piece of scroll that bestowed him honors. It wasn't a golden crown with diadems on it that was placed upon his head. Nah, the coronation of my king was a crown of thorns. 
it was the stripes upon his back. The coronation of my king, when I see that, I cannot help but fall on my knees and say, Hail, King of the Jews. When I see kings pronounced here and there, weddings pronounced here and there, it is with great joy I present to you Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. Everyone, it is with great joy I present to you the 45th President of the United States, etc. When a pronouncement goes out like that, people can't help but cheer, clap, and honor, and adore their ruler. My Savior was not like that. He was pronounced, Behold the man! Behold the man! And how was he presented? Not like a beautiful wedding garment. It was a purple robe that hung on his tattered body, burning the pain even more. It wasn't a beautiful ring or a beautiful headset like the brides would wear. It was a crown of thorns, a crown of bleeding thorns. It wasn't glorious. It wasn't beautiful. It was ugly. It was crude. It was horrible. But through that darkness, through that horror, I see the beauty of my Savior who took the marks in my place. I cannot help but hail King of the Jews as he is celebrated. People mocked him, jeered at him. You never do that at a wedding. You never do that when a president becomes declared as the president. You don't do that when the king is declared as the king. The people would cheer. They would give positive responses, give congratulations. But Jesus Christ was mocked. He was celebrated instead with words. Crucify him. Crucify him. When I see all that, I cannot help but cry out above the bloodthirsty mob, Hail, King of the Jews. My king made a grand entry. But his grand entry was not like other grand entries where the king was riding on a, probably a white horse, marching through the town and people cheering him on, welcoming, welcoming him inside the city. No, my Jesus, it was mockery. It was jeering. And he wasn't riding on a white horse. He was carrying a cross. Somebody ought to carry him. He's the king. But no, he carried the world instead. The whole weight of the world upon his back. It was an old rugged cross of our sins. With that grand entrance at Calvary, I cannot help but owe him loyalty because I got saved at Calvary. I welcomed him at Calvary when I got saved. I should have, and I should still today, owe him allegiance and say, Hail, King of the Jews. The banners that he displayed were all glorious and bright, represented his authority and his honor. His banner was not golden emblems, 
beautiful cloth on expensive wood, but an old rugged cross, old wood, and he was nailed and crucified. It's the banner of the cross. That's why I cannot help but say, Hail, King of the Jews. The feast of my king was nothing but vinegar, sponge, when he deserved more. Oh, how he deserves so much more. I should feast well with him. Feast well. Welcome him in Revelation 3. Dine, sup with him. Enjoy great fellowship with him. And say, Hail, King of the Jews. My Savior died. His death was unlike any other king in the world, any other leader in the world. People make a big deal out of secular, humanist, weak men, out of their deaths, make glorious national holidays out of it. My Savior, His death changed all the other days where it switched from B.C. to A.D. The death of my king was unlike any other death of a king. It saved my soul from hell. Because he went all the way till death for me, why can I not go all the way till death for him? As every ceremony goes, they will have to the bride and the groom till death do us part. I owe him that and so much more to my king till death do us part. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father God, thank you so much for Calvary. Thank you so much for what you did for us. With all that blood, with all that pain and the marks of sin that you bore for us, you deserve worship. You deserve glory. Sadly, we ought to worship you for who you are, but the kind of God the world sees is just too hard for them. It's too hard for them. They keep, they keep nitpicking stuff in the Mosaic Law to despise your grace. And in spite of your grace today, people still try to find why this, why that, and doubt your existence. How we ought to worship you because of who you are, but because we're so weak and fragile, you had to become weak and fragile yourself to show us that you truly loved us, that you truly deserve worship from our lives. I pray that we will see that today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. All right, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And then verse 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're going to look at verse 23. What is the Lord's Supper as we partake in this? As we hail the King today, we need to understand the meaning of the Lord's Supper. The unleavened bread, it is not leavened because leaven represents sin. So bread should be unleavened. And unleavened bread represents his body being broken for us. That's why that unleavened bread is broken into pieces. It should remind you, as you eat that, the broken body of your Lord. As you drink the grape juice, it's supposed to picture and symbolize the blood that he shed to wash away your sins. He dropped every last ounce of his blood for you that even water gushed out as they thrust the spear into his side. That's the meaning of the Lord's Supper. It is not the literal body and blood of Jesus. It is important to make a note of that. People should not take the bread and the grape juice and turn it into some kind of worship object. The object of our worship is Jesus Christ alone. 
This is just a piece of bread and just grape juice. Okay? The only thing that makes it different and their significance is because how it pictures the God that you worship. It's only a picture. It's only a symbol. It's not literal body and blood. It's a picture of the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We are supposed to do this until when? Until his second advent. Until he comes down king of kings and lord of lords, then we stop partaking in the unleavened bread and the grape juice. The Bible says right here in verse 23, For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus the same night which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. So you can see from those verses we partake in the grape juice and the unleavened bread to remember him. So it's a symbol. It's a memorial. It is not literal body and blood. But also we're doing this until he comes. We're showing his death how he bled and died for us until he comes again. If you keep reading down, the Bible says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Notice that verse points out that if you're unworthy when you drink and when you eat, then the Lord's going to judge your body. So he's going to cause you to, he actually did it with the Corinthian church. He gave them sickness, he gave them ailment, and some even died. So that's why it is important that you judge yourself so that you don't be judged. So that's why in this time we offered you a chance at the altar to confess all your sins, to get right with the Lord. It is important to take a moment to do that so that you can uh, clean up the sins inside through the precious blood of Christ as you confess it to Him, and then you can partake in the bread and the new wine for the Lord. Now, this is not talking about that you get damned for hell and that uh, you lose your soul. Damnation simply means condemnation, which simply means judgment. So obviously, saved Christians can go to heaven and not lose their salvation while being judged by the Lord. That's very, very obvious. That's very, very obvious through the Scripture. The damnation you'll see right here has to do with your body. It doesn't have to do with your soul, right? The verses that we read right here. Because they failed to discern the Lord's body, so the Lord's going to do the same, give you the same courtesy in return in failing to uh, consider your own body in return. That's why people have been sick in their health and died. So it has to refer to a bodily damnation, bodily judgment. That's the reason why we also mention in this communion, it is important to understand Bible-believing churches have different ways of doing communion. With us, when we do the communion and the Lord's Supper, uh, I don't like to say open and closed because what I would like to see it as is more so of being worthy to partake in it. 
I see it as that way. So in other words, in order to be worthy, there's one, you have to have salvation, obviously. You need to be saved first so that your sins can be covered under the blood. The second thing is that you've got to confess your sins concerning your fellowship. So your fellowship has to be covered under the blood. But also, you have to do your baptism. Why is that? If you, don't, uh, if you fail to do water baptism, uh, that's the devil right now. He just wants to disturb the Lord's Supper, Beelzebub. Oh, my goodness. The reason why it's important to do water baptism, it shows a, in your part, see, a failure. A failure to fulfill your obligation, your duty. Failure of a duty and an obligation, you can see right here, is not something that we consider righteous or worthy. It should be confessed under the blood, and also it should be practiced and fulfilled. That's the reason why some churches, and particularly our church, we believe that you should do water baptism. Because this is actually a basic ordinance right after salvation. It's not something you do years later. See that? So that's the reason why we uh, emphasize the urgency of doing water baptism. However, other churches do it. They do things differently. That's between them and God. We are an independent church, independent Baptist church. So we don't believe that there should be a pope telling other people how they should run their churches. No, we believe that the church should be independent and that the local pastor, independent pastor, is in charge of his own church. So we're going to be held accountable to ourselves right here, and I'm held accountable for you. We don't have the Southern Baptist organization that gives out a letter pointing out scores of their pastors caught with sex scandals, right? Okay, I had to bash them a little bit. Now that we say that, it's important that notice in this passage, the Lord Jesus Christ gave thanks before he partook in the meal. So it is important that when we partake in the grape juice and the unleavened bread to give thanks. So we're going to be doing that as well. But before so, I want to give people the chance who have not confessed their sins to take a chance to confess their sins to the Lord. If you have already confessed your sins to the Lord during the uh, altar call time, I want to give you a moment of silence. In this moment of silence, I want people to bow their head, close their eyes, and to ponder about the Lord's death. And if you have not confessed your sin, to give you this moment of silence to confess your sins. Please do so. And P.S., pray for that Beelzebub to go away, okay? That way the Lord's Supper don't get ruined. Father, we give you thanks for the body and the blood that you shed on the cross of Calvary. We thank you so much for the nourishment and the meal that we're about to partake in because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. As we give you both thanks for the physical meal as well as salvation by your death on the cross, I pray that we will take this time to commemorate and think seriously. You've given us a, uh, not just the knowledge of your word, but an experiential moment. As we chew on that bread and drink the grape juice, you're giving us an experience to taste and to sense and to, for, our, for our minds to remember how you were broken on the cross and how you shed your blood on the cross. Bless the remainder of the time that we do for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
I would like to uh, summon the ushers to come forward. I would like the ushers to come forward to pass around the unleavened bread for the audience. I would like to ask Brother Sean to give thanks for the unleavened bread as well as for the broken body on the cross of Calvary. Heavenly Father, Lord, as I come to you in prayer, I, I, I can't even pray to you, Lord, without that body that was broken for me, the, the righteousness that was found in you that you gave Amen. me, Lord, that you traded for my filthy flesh. Lord God, every sin I can think of, Lord, is a sin I'm guilty of. Amen. And not me only, Lord, but everyone in this room. And uh, you broke that body, that perfect body that was in the prime of your life, that eternal body that would have never died if you didn't so great that you laid down that body and broke it for the sins of the whole world, Lord. Not just people in this room, not just people in Berkeley, not just people in California, the entire world, and not just in 2022, Lord. Ever since the moment you broke that body, that body, that unleavened bread, that pure, sinless, precious yeah, good, brother. Bo- uh, bread of life has been made available for the whole world, Lord God, for thousands of years, Lord. I thank you so much that you did all the things in my life that you did to bring me to the point where I was hungry enough, Lord, that I was willing to hold out my hand and take that bread of life. And I pray that I never forget what you did for me, Lord. I thank you so much, Lord, for blessing this church with uh, the opportunity to even come to you and remember you, Lord. You bless us with literally everything. There is no memory in our minds without you. I can't give thanks and speak to you without you, Lord. I can't even feel love toward you without the love you've given me, Lord. Mm-hmm. So I thank you so much for breaking that body for us. I pray that you would have each and every person taking part in this, Lord, to do it <coughs> solemnly and seriously. And I pray as the preacher was preaching, Lord, that we would see that more. We would never lose sight of you on, on the cross, what you did for us, uh, dying for us for the whole sins of the whole world, Lord God, that we might have eternal life. And I pray, Lord God, that we would lay down our lives and our bodies for you um, daily, Lord God, in service as it's our reasonable service. And if the time should come, Lord, if we should, uh, if we should be a, 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 a sacrifice to death, Lord God, I pray that we would do that for you because you are worthy. Mm-hmm. You are worthy, Father. Thank you so much, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Leave it there, please. Go ahead. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold, the man. And it was the preparation of the Passover, and about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold, your king. But they cried out, 
Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. First Corinthians chapter 11 verse 24 reads, And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. You may now eat the bread that pictures the body of our Lord. I would like to ask Brother Joseph to give thanks for the new wine and the blood that Jesus Christ shed on the cross. Father God, we thank you for your will, for our lives, for sending your Son to become flesh and to die for us, for our sins, that his blood may be shed to us all our sins. Amen. Of what we have done before we got saved and what we are still to commit. For you have paid it all, Lord God, and in the Lord God, as we Amen. repented and turned to you, Lord God, you gave us the Holy Spirit to be a pledge of uh, being part of your family and being with you forever. We thank you for this new wine that uh, we can partake to remember what you have done. As the spirit is opposed to the flesh, Lord God, those who rejected you, mocked you, criticized you, rejected you, and shamed you, Lord God. But we know that it is your will that in the spirit realm, the opposite is happening. That the veil will be broken from top to bottom, and that we will have access, we will experience your peace. Many souls will be saved, Lord God, and we will have the victory, and we will be with you as your children because of Christ, and we will live for you forever, Lord God, and that's what we always remember, Lord God, and that gives us strength in this sanctification process that we have as uh, your children, to do what we can out of our love, to share your word, to live properly, to shine as light. Mm -hmm. Not just like small light, but a big light as <laughs> your grace allows us to. And we thank you that we can partake of this wine that cleanses your blood that wash away all our sins. And we partake it with sincerity and gladness. Yes. In Jesus' name. Amen. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him two other with him, on either side one, and Jesus in the midst. 
and Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. And it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 26, verses 27 through 29, And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Ye may now drink the grape juice that pictures the blood of our Lord. All right, so the ushers will collect the cups as they collect the cups on each column. We're going to sing a hymn. The Bible says at Matthew chapter 26 and verse 30, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. After they partook in the Lord's Supper, they sang a hymn. Shall we sing a hymn? Please stand and turn to page 559. 559. Please stand and sing with me page 559. Will you hail the King of the Jews with me today as you look at the glorious, wondrous cross on which our Prince, oh His Majesty, glory died? 559. Here we go. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on Forbidden, Lord, that I 